This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The NBA playoffs are here, and we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even the speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch, because this is the Turn It Up to 11 NBA Playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA Playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to this episode of the Bike Radar Podcast. This is a tech Q&A episode, which is really exciting. And I am joined by our special guests, um, Tom Marvin, who's a senior technical editor at Bike Radar, and Warren Rossiter, who is also a senior technical editor at Bike Radar. Obviously, we're in very good company. Who are you, Al? My name's Oh, my name is Alex Evans. Hello. And uh, surprise, surprise, I am also a senior <laughs> technical editor at Bike Radar. Um, which is uh, funny. So uh, whether or not we actually know anything, I think uh, the questions will will uh, shine light on that. Um, but before we dive into the nitty gritty Q and A, what have you guys both been up to? We'll start with with dear Tom. Uh, I've been a busy boy recently, Al. Uh, I've been in Italy for a few days uh, over in Aosta. Rode some uh, a good bike on amazing trails. Uh, it is under embargo though until uh, November at some point, so I won't talk about what it was, but it was great. Uh, came back for a few days, then I headed down to Exmoor to go and ride another new bike uh, that may or may not still be under embargo, depending on when this gets published. Uh, and then I raced the X Enduro, uh, sponsored by Merida, powered by Shimano. Uh, I think you have to say that contractually. Uh, really? So that was a, a three-day Enduro. Did I just hear a ching-ching as that money entered your bank account? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, that was a three-day Enduro, uh, and it's a really 
really good. It's one of the best events I've ever. I've did, I did it last year. Did it again this year, and it's it's fantastic. Uh, and then yeah, so yeah, busy busy week this week because uh, I'm off on my holidays next week, uh, and then I get straight back from my holidays and straight into another five day trip to Spain uh, for another new bike. So I'm flat out. They don't call you Holiday Marvin for nothing, <laughs> do they? They don't. Every any opportunity. <laughs> Great, uh, Warren. C- can you top hum- Tom's holiday holiday uh, run H- home straight? Uh, I don't no, know what you want to call no, it. I've just been um, I've just been busy at home, so I spent quite a bit of time on the new Trek to Marni, which I've really enjoyed. And uh, then the other bike that I've spent a lot of time on recently is the new Cervelo Soloist. Again, really impressed by that. Um, and then I tried COVID. That wasn't really as good. <laughs> Not um, as good. No yeah, stiffness, yeah, no was, compliance. No, no, no it, that, that was a bit of a letdown, really. Um, so now I'm sort of, um, I'm away back to full fitness now. Um, and this week I've got a couple of uh, sort of all road slash gravel bikes to uh, spend a week riding head to head. So that's a Farah, which is a brand out of Norway and very nice looking bike. And um, Salsa's venerable warbird so that's what i'll be exploring um so i'll be playing on this week uh, yeah just watch out for watch out for tanks seen a lot of tanks recently yeah. must be something going on in the world <laughs> yeah i, I can't, I can't imagine what that might be my no comment a friend of mine uh recently won gb Giro on a salsa warbird there you go a little fact for you oh nice uh, very oh, fast, yeah. fast young man. Do, 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 you want, do you want to drop that name, or are you oh, just going to leave it? Yeah, no, yeah. Hugh Oliver is very, very oh, fast yeah. uh, for uh, riding long distances. I, I'm actually hoping to do a podcast uh, with Hugh and his partner Annie. Um, Annie is also um, of that persuasion. She did uh, a Winter Highland 550 uh, solo earlier this year. I made a really of beautiful film. Would. I mean, why would you? Of course you would. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, well, well, why make something really hard even harder? Yeah. Well, because you can, right? They they don't know this podcast is going to happen yet, but I need to. Uh, Drop them both a message. Um, what well, about you, Al? What have you been? What have you been doing? Uh, I've been fervently testing bikes, running around like the the proverbial blue blue bottomed fly. Um, yeah, lots going on. Uh, actually, had a had a little little crash yesterday, which um, yeah, it was a really silly one. It was really really silly. I uh, I washed out on a corner that didn't have any support, and instead of just slide low siding onto the ground and just landing on my elbow, I thought I'd be a clever clever person and jump off the bike mm. did not take into account the steepness of the uh, ground and up uh, running 50 meters down a hill straight into a tree <laughs> and uh, that was a bit stupid really so uh, i've got a i've got a poorly middle finger oh, on my left hand at the little, minute little boo-boo. Um, yeah which was a bit dumb but yeah no except for that um really good just been being busy guy been riding the new santa cruz 5010 mm-hmm. um which is like their jib now come trail cross-country sort of mullet kind of bike that rides everywhere sort of thing um so that's been exciting is it good yeah it's it's an interesting one it's really good on like flow trails um so like you know you you hit jumps you hit smoother stuff it's it's great fun to ride um but 130 mil travel at the back 140 at the front and as soon as things get like successively chunky one-off chunk you're absolutely fine Mm. lots of chunk in a row and you're like oh hang on Maybe going a little too fast here. My uh, my eyes were uh, appetite was bigger than my um, the, you know my eyes were bigger than my appetite. Apologies, that's what I meant to say. So there you go. Yeah. Um, 
Just a quick note to our dear listeners, if you have any questions, if you like our podcast, if you want to give any feedback, um, please do email podcast at biteradar.com and we will read your message, quite possibly get back to you as well, whether that's in an email or on the podcast, depending on you know what you ask and how, how nice it is and whether <laughs> we're able to actually answer it. Um, but yeah, please, please do, do let us know. So on that note, let's get on to the nitty gritty of this tech Q&A. Uh, and the first question is from Sarah from North Queens Ferry. Uh, I like that, that she's, she's given her location. I'm very, very appreciative there, Sarah. Um, and she says, this is probably a question that gets asked a lot, but how often should I replace my helmet? So what do you reckon, guys? I think, Tom, you were going to potentially field this one. Uh, yeah, it came through on uh, for MBUK as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously helmets are quite expensive at the moment. So you know, replacing them can be a bit of a, a financial. Uh, you know, this is probably why people don't replace them super regularly because helmets these days can cost anything from obviously like fifty, sixty quid, um, all the way up to two, three hundred pounds. So depending on how much you, you're wanting to spend, they can be quite a financial commitment. But it is worth replacing them on a relatively regular basis. So the, the the common thought over the years had been sort of the the EPS foam, which is that sort of like foamy stuff that makes up the bulk of the helmet and offers the bulk of the protection, um, degrades uh, with sunlight over time, um, thanks to UV and all that sort of stuff. Um, which is one of the reasons why I think it was all said you shouldn't store your helmets in direct sunlight, and you know shops shouldn't put them in the in the shop windows. Um, but I, I was doing a bit of reading about this, and it currently maybe isn't quite uh, the the current thinking that that's the case. Um, however, uh, the materials within the helmet, such as the glues uh, and the other sort of binding materials that sort of hold the the outer plastic shell to the EPS foam and, and all that sort of stuff, and obviously the the padding inside, they use their they can lose their efficacy over time. Um, thanks to you know other environmental factors such as sun, such as sweat, um, you know water cleaning products, that sort of things. Um, so they can sort of reduce their ability to sort of hold together safely over time. Um, that said, you know helmet tech means in more modern helmets they're much more effective than they used to be. So they are a lot safer than they used to be, and they retain that safe those safety levels for a little bit longer. If you've had a crash. You know, and if you've certainly if you've hit your head, you really should replace the helmet, even if you can't see the damage. You know, it's, it's that you know thing we always say: you can't always see the internal structure of the helmet and whether it's damaged or not. And when it's damaged, it might still sort of do a, a job the second time it gets hit, but it won't be as good. And obviously, it's your head; you want your product to be doing as good a job as it possibly can. So, if you hit your head, any scuffs, marks on the outer shell, I think you really should be replacing it anyway. And a lot of companies do have pretty good crash replacement policies going on. But even day-to-day -day wear and tear um, can take its toll on your helmet. So if, you know, if you've got it in the back of your van and it's rolling about and getting little bumps and, bumps and knocks, or if you, you, know, you drop it off your, your shelf, um, all those things over time really do degrade the performance of the helmet. Um, and as I say, it's not that it's cracked in half maybe, but you, know, you want it at 100%, not at 90% or 85%. Um, because your head's really important. Um, so generally speaking, most companies who produce helmets recommend replacing them every three to five years, assuming it hasn't been crashed. Um, so that's sort of the general thought these days. Three to five years kind of always was the, was the advice anyway, but I think the reasoning for that has changed over time. 
I think some uh, some helmets also have a, a date stamp on them, don't they? Uh, there's a manufacturer stamp, and then mm. also potentially a, a, a used by date stamp on some of them. Mm-hmm. I believe. Um, so you know, if your helmet has that in there, then it's probably wise to wise to you know have a look and kind of o- obey. To be honest, assume I think assuming that you bought the helmet closest state of manufacture. Obviously, sometimes helmets might sit in storage for a little while. Um, and you know, if you've bought like a, an older model, you know it's been in its box for years and years. Maybe that's less of a less of an issue. But yeah, if it's uh, if you've got a helmet that was built in, let's say 2017, 2016, and you're still riding it, maybe you should think about replacing it now. Yeah, definitely. Well, we hope that helps, Sarah. Um, you know, don't don't take risks with your head. Um, you know, it it might be a, a large amount of money to spend, but. You'll certainly be grateful for that in in the unfortunate accident. You know, if you have an accident or whatever. To be fair, like you know, you, you can spend a lot of money on helmets, but you don't have to. There are there are a lot of helmets now coming in that sort of fifty to eighty pound price bracket, which isn't a small amount of money, but they're coming now with things like MIPS. You know, the anti rotational mm. um, sort of protection that actually probably is quite a good thing to 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 uh, get in, get in your helmet. Um, so don't feel you have to spend hundreds and hundreds of pounds, you know, on the latest Troily A3 or whatever it is, which is a lovely helmet, but you don't need to spend all that money to get the safety things. Have a look at that Virginia Tech um, test results as well. Um, so search for that cycle helmet, Virginia Tech. You'll find a list of like the safest helmets. And surprisingly, they're not all the most expensive ones. Yeah, that is very true. Great stuff. Thank you, Tom. Um, so on to our next question. Um, this anonymous uh, user writes, in news stories and bike reviews, there's often a lot of chat about frame stiffness, but how much does fork and wheel stiffness have to play in how a bike feels? Other than the obvious issues with a bike that's at either extreme of the stiffness scale, how much does stiffness matter on a race bike? For reference, this questioner is 84 kilograms, so they think they should be looking for something fairly stiff. What do you reckon was? Because I think, you know, this is talking quite specifically about road race bikes. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The NBA playoffs are here. And we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even your speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch. Because this is the turn it up to 11 NBA playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Um, yeah, I mean, we do all talk a lot about frame stiffness. Um, that's definitely true. But I would say stiffness in modern carbon road bikes, um, I'd say on the whole, it's just, it's ample. It's not like um, 
It's not back in the old steel and alloy days when you could have a steel or a tie bike that would flex and bend underneath you, or a you know oversized tube aluminium bike that was so stiff that and rigid that post ride you're looking for a chiropractor rather than a coffee. <laughs> um, but when it comes to stiffness, it's not about the hole; it's about sort of where it's focused. Um, you know, most bike designers and engineers have got their heads around it now. So, firstly, it's it's that lateral stiffness that means the bike's chassis as we're not just talking about the frame here we're talking about the fork as well um that it can amply transfer all the power that you're putting in through the pedals you know down into the back wheel if a bike's not stiff enough here you end up with you know some some torsional like twisting forces that that effectively take the chassis out of alignment uh, in the extreme that's when your front and back wheels aren't really pointing in the same direction <laughs> um which has a massively detrimental effect on handling um you know, I, I can remember some bikes riding, some bikes way, way back that just that did that, that felt like a wet noodle. You know, I could go into a corner and, and sort of crab across the road. And um, yeah, I'm talking about you, early noughties, uh, Merlin Extra Light. Ooh, <laughs> Ooh burn. <laughs> um, and, you know, and don't get me started on the sort of super skinny steel bikes from the early noughties as well. You know, those you could induce a turn by simply shifting your hips. Um, the whole weight weeding fashion fashion thing of that time has a lot to answer for in both flexible and two stiff bikes um anyway like back, back on back on topic topic um so the energy that you're that, that a, a chassis or a bike um, and that includes this includes the wheels as well um is, that gets taken up by twisting and bending is is energy that you've lost that should be moving you forwards um but the thing with stiffness is it's it's really all about balance um basically you want a frame to have stiffness in the head tube you know, you want some stiffness in the fork too, um, and that keeps the steering keen. You want it stiff down through the down tube into the bottom bracket and out through the chainstays to the rear dropouts, you know, a sort of lower tray of the frame. Um, that's the real key to, to sort of handling and, and pedaling efficiencies. You know, it also allows, you know, really good designers to engineer in other elements like, you know, comfort. You know, as I mentioned, the Damani on the intro, you know, if you talk about the last generation Damani, um, that had exceptional stiffness down through the drivetrain, but incredible comfort thanks to that isospeed decoupler um, which effectively that meant that the seat tube wasn't connected directly to the top tube and the seat stays it was connected by effectively a pivot and that's something you can only do something that radical if they've got the stiffness down in the bottom bracket and you know everywhere where it's essential um so to sum up rather than just blather on stiffness is just one element of a bike it's vital to a bike steering responses now efficient a bike accelerates too much and it has a detrimental effect on comfort which over longer rides will see your performance drop and and so your overall speed so you know if you're looking for something racy then you should be thinking weight ride quality even aero or you know all i can suggest is you know think about what you like in your current bike and those ride qualities what you'd like to be better and then you can check out you know the myriad of reviews on bikes in those price range at bike radar and i'm sure you'll find what you want you know i, I you know i'm a similar weight um to, to this chap um although he hasn't mentioned his height and my go-to bikes over the last few years i think hold up to the right balance of stiffness comfort uh, and weight um the giants tcr cannondale super six evo um specialized tarmac um weirdly i've i own one of each of those <laughs> um recently i've been hugely impressed with the new soloist that has, that hits the balance perfectly um marita sculptura colnago c68 um and something a little bit different on a bike I've tested recently, which which impressed me with those characteristics, is Vielo's R plus one.
Yeah, quite a quite a list of bikes there that you know. You, you, I mean, but bike sniffers is a funny one because it's kind of similar in mountain biking where you know, as this this person has identified that you know we all talk about this in reviews, and it is a, a massively important thing because it can it can flip how a bike feels, mm. it can feel amazing, or it can feel terrible <clears> if the stiffness is in the the right or the wrong place. Um, but hopefully that that list of bikes that that Warren's given you that you know from his personal experience. Um, will be helpful you know it's handy that that you two are a similar similar weight like Warren said don't don't mention your height but um you know if you're a similar weight then that's kind of uh you know I reckon Warren's seal of approval is good enough for good enough for anyone I'd say okie dokie so back into the world of fat tires um not fat bikes just mountain biking um this person gives their age not their weight so uh, an interesting flip maybe we can build up a profile of uh, <laughs> of everyone out of all these different questions um this person says he's uh, he it doesn't actually say their gender either they're a 50 year old rider who started riding back in the late 80s and 90s um they got injured um while serving uh, and wound up being told they'd never ride again he dabbled they dabbled with riding hand-powered bikes um in the early 2010s um, and then discovered e-bikes had got really good um, and in 2017 they bought their first EMTB. Since then they've ridden every Ard Rock which is a UK UK uh, enduro style race, uh, Mountain of Hell um, which is an absolutely crazy crazy race in, in Europe where you start on a glacier and race for like 40 minutes or something insane similar to the Mega Avalanche. Uh, 2412, which I'm not entirely sure what that is, but it's a 24 um, hour mountain bike race. Um, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Um, and a few other bits here and there, a few other bits, blimey. What was that like? World Cups, Hardline. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so their problem is that they like to ride rowdy terrain, um, and ride it fast, don't we all? Um, the problem is that they can no longer ride it as fast as the current 170 millimeter travel bikes want them to. They've got two bikes, a Vitus, a Vita, sorry, E-Summit 297 and a Specialized Levo SL. Um, they love both bikes, um, but the E-Summit needs to go. Now, the reason for this is that they, they find that riding stuff that the bike wants them to makes their legs and back hurt and they just can't cope anymore. Um, they're looking for a lightweight, short travel, down country EMTB. Do we know of anything that fits their needs? What do you reckon, Tom? It's a market that isn't like packed full of bikes at the moment. This the shorter travel e mountain bike. Uh, they've suggested the BHI links uh, with which has 120 mil of travel at either end. Uh, but uh, the, the 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 question was slightly longer as well. But they as they identified uh, getting hold of them in the UK isn't exactly easy, um, and it's not something we've really ever touched on really is bh um i don't remember ever seeing yeah. one in the mag um so they're looking at sort of like 120 to 140 at the back um the orbea rise is sort of the obvious one um at that point i think it's 140 140 um but there are other options out there um they haven't mentioned uh, a budget um, so my first suggestion um, is certainly going to be at the top end of any budget. Uh, it's the new Pivot Shuttle SL. Um, so it comes with 132mm of travel at the back and it's built to be like nice and lightweight. 
um, which is probably what they're looking for. Um, now, most of the models do come with 150 mil forks, um, but the top build, which is like the super light version, um, comes with 140 on the fork. So that suggests that even if you bought, say, a non-top model, uh, with 150 mil fork, you could maybe change the travel down, sort of get that front end a bit lower, give it a slightly more down country, racy sort of feel to it. Um, so that's that's an option. Um, other bikes that you might want to sort of consider. Um, so Merida have the E140, so that's a 140 mil front and back. Um, while Cube have a 120 hybrid, um, so that's got 120 mil travel at the back and 130 mil at the front. Uh, the other option perhaps might be Canyon's Neuron On, um, so that's 130 at each end as well. So those are sort of like the bar you know the brands, you know the bigger brands that have bikes of that shorter travel, um, 120, 130ish at the back. There's a bit of a curveball. Could be um, so Trek have one called the E Caliber. So it's only got a 60 mil of travel at the back. So it's sort of like a, if you if you know of their um, Pro Caliber XC race bike with the sort of uh, well, it's a custom shock made by Trek, which sort of nestles into the top tube and gives 60 mil of travel. So you land an F, for example, to race that. They have an e-bike version of this, um, but it's got a 120 mil fork at the front. So the question is like, oh, you know, are there any downcountry e-bikes? This feels to me almost like, you know, an XC-ish down country bike, if that makes sense. So 120 mil with a motor. Um, so it might be worth, might be worth looking at. Um, doesn't have all the travel at the back then you might be wanting, but, uh, maybe we'll fill that need. One thing that, you know, I have noticed when I was sort of researching the answer to this question is that a lot of these bikes, um, they have, I guess you'd say slightly dated geometry. None of them really have been updated particularly recently. Um, and so you might want to look at things like, you know, if, if you if you, if you you like your current bikes and the shape of them, you know, with longer reaches and that sort of stuff, have a look at the seat tube angle, uh, seat tube lengths and see where they maybe you're able to size up to get a longer reach, for example, because a lot of them are slightly shorter if you're looking at in a, a modern, in a modern lens. I think, is that fair? Yeah, that's definitely fair. Um, I, I think like, one maybe word of caution is you could be making a rod for your own back if you excuse the the terrible pun um <laughs> it's not, not not meant to be uh directed at your back pain but um you know basically if if you're going to get a shorter travel bike uh, but you still want to ride hard and fast you could actually find that you know it, it might it might make yourself hurt you know you might hurt more it might make your legs and back hurt more um i, so, I guess they're uh, keeping hold of the the level sl Maybe a, a yeah. bit of, uh, yeah. Pick pick your weapon for the for the day, sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, and, and then there are some outliers as well. And this this is a real curveball. Um, I tested this bike recently, which is the Pole Voima, uh, which has 190 millimeters of travel. Wow. But wait, there's a but coming. It has a, an 80 degree seat tube angle, and that's an actual measured 80 degree, not just a um, a. Um, a pretend one. What, what am I talking about? Virtual. There you go. That's what I'm on about. And this is actually one of the best climbing e-bikes I have ever ridden in my life ever. Um, it's insane how well it goes uphill. Um, so you kind of ignore the travel figure, um, you know, and maybe focus on the geometry of the bike, and and th th that that could be could be a solution to your to your problem um, amongst Tom's other beautiful suggestions. Cool. Um, Very yeah. much so, a, more of a swing ball than mine. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, you've got your you've got your sixty mil travel uh, E caliber and your hundred ninety mil travel uh, <laughs> Voima, <laughs> whichever one. You know, you, you'll be fine. I think it's worth saying that um, over the coming years, I think that we are going to see more of these shorter travel um, sort of down country and in inverted commas e bikes. Just because motor tech is, I don't think the battery is going to get lighter, but you might see sl- smaller batteries again um, with motors that are getting lighter. Um, and I think that's probably, you know, you could, uh, yeah. Give it a couple of years and there might, there might be quite a few more options out there. Great. Cool. Okay. Thanks, Tom. Um, this one's now back to Warren. And I, I, I really like this question. I think it's a great, great question to ask. And it's actually quite a, quite a tricky thing to do, um, the answer, I, I suspect. So uh, this anonymous person asks, what's your go-to riding kit for this time of year? The weather is really changeable with showers and sun. So I'm either too hot or too sweaty or really damp. It's pretty annoying. I'd agree with that. Are there any good, really packable jackets or are there items of kit that work well in loads of different conditions? What do you reckon was? Yeah, well, <clears throat> well, I mean, yeah, over here in the UK, we're fast approaching that kind of transitional period where it's not too cold, it's not too hot, um, but on the occasion it's more than a little damp. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm the sort of rider that just heads out wherever the weather, um, as it's part of the job too. Um, it's not like I can test the bikes hand in on Zwift. Um, so, uh, so um, I'll take, you know, my autumnal collection, um, shall we say, has to be somewhat adaptable. That means a jersey that can handle a bit of light rain. Um, you know, go-to for that, something like Sportfuls, Fiandre, um, always a good go-to. Weirdly, Sportful describe it as a jacket, even though it's a, got short sleeves. Um, but I just tend to wear it over a base layer. That's it. Aside from that, you know, there's classics like Castelli's Gabba and the Perfetto. Um, Isidore's gravel jersey, which is a kind of um, a, a wool mix, um, a little bit more medium weight, um, is great for cooler days. Um, add in a pair of arm warmers. Um, I'd say Sportfalls No Rains uh, probably my go-to for that. Um, I'm also quite a big fan of gilets, Um especially the really light windproof ones that you can just pack down to like golf ball size. Um, the one that I've been using for years now is Giro's Chrono Expert. And that literally packs down to like the size of a ping pong ball. So it's easy to stuff in a pocket. Um, I'm not that big on overshoes. Um, when it comes to full on winter, I just tend to wear winter boots. Um, uh, overshoes, I just, they just tend to tear and rip and, and get, you know, overloaded quite quickly but i do quite like a toe cover um castelli do some neoprene ones which are pretty decent though they can get a bit soggy um and i quite like velotoes um ones they do which um weirdly is best described as like a shoe condom thanks to them being made out of a sort of latex material um but they can be a little bit fragile um spats do a similar design that uses a, a silicon rubber um and they look really good although i haven't tried those yet and um, they're on my sort of shopping list for uh, for this autumn jacket wise i haven't been able to see past um gauze 1985 shake dry um i've still got my original one from 2018 it's still waterproof it's still going strong it packs down into its own zipped rear pocket so it's jersey pocket sized um and whilst it's expensive at nearly 300 quid it's really lasted well and still does the job nice yeah um and obviously, you guys are having to ride in uh, adverse conditions, and I've got a, probably harsher than road anyway. So I've got a couple of uh, a couple of little faves from, I guess, more my my gravelly rides. 
Um, so a sportful Super Giara Puffy. It's one. Of, it's quite a unique outfit. It's like a. Uh, it's an insulated jacket, but it has short sleeves. Um, so like arms, like forearms, are a really good way of regulating temperatures. That's why people always pull their arms up on long sleeve shirts. Um, and uh, yeah, I've ridden this jacket a couple of times, and it's actually it's really warm. Keeps your core really warm. Keeps your shoulders really warm. You don't get horrible drafts, but it doesn't get so too sweaty because your arms are sort of pumping the heat out when you're getting quite warm. So it's quite a nice little um, mid-season thing, um, or like quite a punchy winter riding jacket. Um, it it looks a little unique because uh, you've got like a basically an insulated jacket that finishes at your elbows, um, but it works really well. Um, the other bits and pieces that I've sort of been enjoying recently is um, Seven Mesh's new stuff. With So they've got a new fabric um, called WTV. Um, and they've got a couple of new jerseys that um, I'm trying to very quickly pull <laughs> pull the names out of. Um, they were on this week's First Look Friday, uh, or last week's First Look Friday on, on Radar. Uh, but there's... Um, there's like a Rodica one. I think it's called the Seaton jersey, um, and it's the the the, the fabric. Uh, it's called WTV Wind Thermal Ventilation, and you know, like a lot of these things, it's, it claims sort of keep the wind out, keeps you sort of insulated, but has enough ventilation that it doesn't get too sweaty and it doesn't sort of overheat. Um, and like I've only done a couple of rides in it um, because obviously it hasn't been too cold recently, uh, but so far I've been fairly impressed. Um, the Seaton jersey, they do gilet as well, and they do men's and women's versions quite a close fit um, big pockets at the back um, and then the um, they do like a, a more relaxed fit sort of gravel and mountain bike uh, jumper thing which is really nice as well yeah nice okay cool it always seems to be like a, a balance between staying dry from the rain dry from sweat warm and then mm. not too hot and not too cold and it's like a it's a really tricky Oh my gosh, Tom! Uh, that's our fire alarm. That's if, uh, our fire alarm. If, if anyone's still and listening. as a as a fire officer, <laughs> I should be telling you all to run and scream as loud as you can. Uh, but it's all right; it's just a test, so you don't have to. Instead, do that. It, well, you don't know that. Oh, in I know. The, I know. I've the, the stoicism of your duty. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh the second one—that's less. If it goes off again, then I'm going to run screaming. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Warren are fine. You, you guys are fine. Yeah. We're not getting burned down. On to our final question. What makes the free hub click on your bike? Now, I know what makes us click, it's bikes, but what makes your free hub click on your bike? Um, sounds like an odd question, but uh, I know... Oops, I, I, I'm struggling. I've got a reading age of five now all of a sudden. Um, this sounds like an odd question, I know, but i love to know how they work as there seem to be so many different systems out there. For example, mine is pretty quiet and just clicks. Can I make it louder? My friend's bike has a really buzzy free hub. Uh, why does it sound so much different to mine? And can he make it more quiet? He seems to hate it. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, well, you know, the reason free hubs make a noise is all down to, you know, the way in which they work. The majority of free hubs today use a, a ratchet system, which is a set of spring-loaded poles, um, which are like gear teeth, but but one once it can actually move, they're directional, so they only engage the drive ring, which is inside the free hub body when you're pedaling. Um, but when you stop pedaling, um, and the freewheel, the the poles can rock back against their springs, and and the drive ring springs uh, spins freely. Well, almost that noise you can hear is the poles clicking up and down over the drive ring teeth. Um, 
And then noise you can hear is dependent on two things. One, how many teeth are there in the drive ring and how fast um, the wheels rotating sort of defines the frequency. The volume comes from the number of pulls um, and how stiff the springs are. Um, so your friend's buzzing free hub probably means he's running some pretty good quality hubs. Um, it's not a hard and fast rule, but most quality hubs come with uh, a more complex ratchet system. So a drive ring with a higher tooth count and more pulls. Some of the best quality and the most vocal and dependable free hubs around tend to have high tooth counts. Um, you know, for example, Chris Kling's legendary classic hubs run a 72 tooth ratchet. Um, Zip's latest cognition hub uses a 36 tooth and then there are extremes like um, um, the Industry 9 Torch, um, which combines a 60 tooth ratchet and six pulls on their mountain bike hubs, uh, which that gives you 240 points of engagement. Um, and those hubs sound like an angry wasp when they're spinning fast. Yeah, they do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I'd say sadly, you can't modify a free hub to make it quieter, though keeping it properly maintained and lubricated well will keep it a little quieter and smooth. Um, if you want to make it noisier, um, I couldn't remember, uh, you know, recommend no maintenance, but a badly lubricated free <laughs> hub will be noisier, though it's not going to last that long. Yeah, and I think you could, I mean, you should always use the grease that the manufacturer specifies. But I guess if you're going down the customization route and you're into this sort of thing, then you could potentially maybe, and we're not recommending this, use a lighter weight grease, um, which could potentially maybe increase the amount of noise that it makes. Um, yeah, definitely not recommending that, but it's maybe something no. that you could explore in your free time. I always think like, you know, a good, a good sort of hard and fast rule for a free hub, though, is just leave it well alone. Um, for anybody that's had to, you know, um, get down on their hands and knees in a in their workshop <laughs> with a torch trying to find a lost spring, uh, you know, or an errant pole that's just fallen out, um, yeah, yeah, you can waste many many hours. Absolutely, or even a, a free hub that is uh, refusing to engage whilst you're out on a ride, because you certainly can't freewheel home, unless you live at the bottom of a hill, in which case fill your boots. But <laughs> <laughs> I've got a um, a set of wheels on my long term mountain bike from Silt. Uh, and they have a road brand as well, Silt. Uh, anyway, they're very loud, incredibly loud. Um, and I emailed them. I said, I think I wrote something in my long-term report. I was like, oh, they're really loud. And it's not quite my bag because everyone's got a different taste, right? Um, and to be fair, they were like, yep, yeah, no, we know this. We have um, grease available um, to quiet it down. So they sent me a little pot of grease and it's it's gone from like literally one of the loudest hubs I've ever used to being pretty much silent um, and still still seems to work very well. So Yeah, nice. And they don't um, they use a slightly different um I think it's like a ring drive type system. Um but anyway, <clears throat> good story, Tom. Yeah. I mean that's the thing, that's the thing, you know, I should say most of them use the use a ratchet, but when you get that higher kind of pull count, there are only a certain amount of pulls you can put in a circle. So quite a lot of brands will use like two banks basically. So so they'll double up that way to get more points of engagement. I think um, <clears throat> the super drive hubs that Halo use, which I think are 126 point engagement. I mean, they sound a bit like the Industry Nines, and and they run off that that sort of that sort of system. And yeah, yeah, yeah I guess the only thing is, is like um, I think we probably all had had um, hubs out the box that you've then set up, and they just feel incredibly draggy because the amount of grease that's been packed into them has just completely compromised the the system um but it is a black art getting it right i think definitely yeah on that same vein don't use any old grease in in your hubs especially thicker grease 
Um, whilst thinner grease might might wear them out, thicker grease means that the likelihood of your free hub engaging is uh, significantly reduced, especially if it's the wrong type of grease and could result in a, in a nasty accident um, if we're being sensible. Lovely. Okay, well, I think that, that wraps it up. Um, thank you so much for imparting your wisdom. Um, I've, I've learned a lot, as per usual, um, on these things. Um, maybe I should be slight, slightly beneath you in terms of title with the two senior, senior technical editors here giving away all their wisdom. Um, so if you like the podcast, please let us know. Um, subscribe, click, click any little bell icon for notifications if there is one. I think that might be YouTube, but there's probably <laughs> one. There's probably one on, on the podcast as well. Um, and uh, as previously, if you've got any feedback or any questions yourself, please email podcast at biteradar.com and we will pick it up and try our hardest to answer your queries. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Warren. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. And speak again soon. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 